Welcome to Security All In. This is Sam Curry. And uh, Security All In is about our industry, about security, um, how we got here collectively and personally, uh, how we approach and see and deal with risk in particular, and about our stories collectively, uh, what we're passionate about, what makes us tick, and how at some point we all went, quote, all in in security. I'm joined today by Laura Luthen. Uh, uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, good to have you here, and uh, I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, you I did. Probably have a few people butcher it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so having said that, um, I think I first saw you uh, on stage at uh, the Deep Security Conference, and uh, I have to say you 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 brought a, uh, an energy to the audience and to the subject matter and, and a, a certain degree of being pragmatic. Um, how do you describe to people what you do and, and, and your perspective in security, if you have description for it um yes yeah, so i do have i do have the kind of formal description and then i have the informal description so the uh, formal description yeah. Yeah. yeah you do have both um the formal description is uh i do two things so i build security programs for uh small to medium-sized companies that have uh, little or no security bench strength so maybe they have a network engineer that's doing you know firewalls or something or Maybe they have someone in audit who is thinking they need to do more security, but if they already have a big security team and a bunch of formality in their process, then they don't really need me. So yeah, that's that sort of company. They, they've got their thing, they've got their way to do it, so yeah. they'll keep doing it, and you're not really going to have an impact anyway, right? That's Exactly. Yeah. Well, I am. That's the second piece I do is, is they can bring me in for PPI or ISO um, uh, just to kind of pad out the team there or to create the team if there is one. And then ideally, I throw them up out of the, you know, out of the nursery and into the point where they have someone full time of their own. Ah, that makes sense. So a, a spoonful of process or process or <laughs> however it's pronounced, it keeps the auditor away kind of thing, right? A, spoon, a spoonful of process, I think, it keeps the auditor away, best practices, um, keeping, understanding risk and mitigating risk. And I know I was um, watching a, a presentation you did yesterday, you had risk three times in one line. So risk is a hard thing to understand if you don't have any experience with it. I mean, you know what risk is, you know, you know what yeah. risk is, but you don't know necessarily what your organization's security risk is. Well, it's, it's one of those things that until you actually think about it deeply, what it is, and try to measure it, and then try to get um, get ahead of it, then you're always it's always going to be bayoneting the wounded, right? And as soon as you're almost healed, the auditors come back, and you get bayoneted again and again and right. again, right? Right. Um, I mean, regs exist because we, you know, it's like when you see a sign that says "Don't smoke." You know, if the sign was wasn't there, people would smoke, right? Um, and if you're not actually solving the problem, then the regs are going to get worse. So they they need you to get ahead of that, right? Yes, and I think um, it's an interesting question about whether these changes in an organi organization are being driven by an auditor or you know, a compliance piece. In some cases, there are no auditors associated with the compliance piece. But whether it's coming from an auditor or whether it's coming from someone wanting to do better because they know that down the line there may be someone coming. Mm. And um, it does tend to create a bit of a different environment. So if you've got things that you are required to do, People are a little bit more glum about it, I think, is the best word. No, nobody, want, nobody wants to be told what to nobody do. Nobody wants to be they? told what to do. Everyone says, oh, compliance isn't security, which is true. However, yeah. in my experience, if you are not doing any compliance whatsoever, it's awfully easy to let the security slip, right? Because you're not getting the focus on it. Right, right. So it's... Uh 
Uh, yeah, it's people who desperately need the relief without the punishment getting worse. What are people worried about right now? What are you What are you hearing and seeing? Because because my sense is that you get called in to actually make things better as opposed to just consulting on the problem, right? Um, everyone's talking about GDPR, as you said, and in some cases for no good reason. Um, I mean, I have one one client whose whose entire business model cannot actually um, function outside the U.S., so they're never going to have EU data. Well, I mean, n never say never, obviously, but you know, it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> so they're saying they're worried about GDPR. I'm like, let's not worry about GDPR. Let's worry about getting the best practices in place. And that's really my my stick as well. Is is best practices. You know, if you are not patching, if you do not have solid multi-factor authentication, <coughs> if you don't have if you don't have processes in place that you should, you're not in a good position to even be thinking about GDPR. Let alone saying we're going to become compliant. Yeah, and, and and of course, uh, in spite in spite of everyone being alarmed about May twenty fifth as a date, it's already the law. Most people don't realize, and enforcement is just going to be kicking up a notch. But it isn't the end of the world for most people, from what I understand. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an expert in it. I spend a lot of time getting ready for it on my side as a CSO. But um, yeah, it, it, this is this is a this is a call to arms around GDPR in particular to get your DNA right. Um, yeah. Right, and it was like the it was like the liability shift with PCI, which I had, you know, was I was directly involved in. Um, and the liability shift, the date came along, and it was different. It was different because it wasn't a you know you have to have stuff in places. You will get fined if you don't, and so people chose to take a risk. It was it was a slightly different kind of situation. Plus, mm. um, you know, PCI is always it's an interesting thing because it's not a regulation; it is a compliance framework that you're required to meet it's, it's, it's a subtle difference yeah yeah although there are fines and and there it does fines, get pretty yeah. specific there uh, are fines it can get expensive i wish i need to i keep remembering and it must write on my sticky note join the pci council i wish that it was more of a uh, less of a pass fail situation mm -hmm. because i think there's just no way that anyone can um do everything and that there should be a better way of essentially grading it. But yeah. yes, there are fines with the liability shift. The retailers were extremely surprised by how quickly those fines started coming down. Um, but nevertheless, a, a lot of them still chose to, to take that bet. Mm. Um, but yes, now everyone is talking about GDPR. I think HIPAA is uh, becoming much more prevalent, not because there's more healthcare companies, but there's a lot of startups as well. Uh, but just because awareness of all things security are much higher that makes that makes complete sense so uh, maybe i can uh, shift gears here a little bit and say how did you laura wind up in security if if we if you cast back however you want to do it you can go back to school or to a, an incident or to the day you were born if you like um uh, what were the first few chapters like that brought you here I, you know one of the things we want is people listening want to know the, the personal side uh, because they want to see what they can take away and how they can evolve. So, Laura, how did your security story start? Sure. So I uh, I read biochemistry at university, which is not the most useful subject mm -hmm. if you don't actually want to be a biochemist. But it is, <laughs> it is interesting, generally speaking. And I was obviously destined for sciences in, in some shape or form. Um, I, pre I presume that was in that was in the UK, yeah? That was in the UK, yeah. So there's me, uh, there's me with my um, biochemistry degree. And uh, I went to work in London for about six months and decided I wasn't ready to be a grown up. 
And so then I went to work at Club Med for two years as a scuba instructor, which is basically the French Foreign Legion. Um, you know, nice. You come back two years later, you're tanned, you're fit, you speak French, and you've disappeared for two Merveille, years. wonderful, yes. Merveilleux. I came back, um, clutching my biochemistry degree from my Ivy League college uh, to Florida, and nobody cared, absolutely nobody cared. And apparently the only useful thing I had got in my uh, skills in previous years was I'd learned how to type. So I went and worked <laughs> as a not particularly good uh, administrative assistant. Um, I'm very good at administrating wow. things. I'm not very good at people telling me what to do that I find things I find help. Um, but one of the things I along the way was tech support for the sales ah. assistants. They'd throw their laptops at me as they walked out the door. And then I would get on the phone with tech support for, you know, this, this long distance company. And I had a really f lot of fun doing the tech stuff. So then I um, migrated into full-time tech. So I did the classic um, back in the days of when they were moving to LANs and none of the, the IBM AS400 people wanted anything to do with PCs, this, you know, modern fangled nonsense. And so I got given, I think, a, a, an AOL account, a dial-up modem, and uh, eight feet of manuals in a bookshelf and told to figure it out. So, so that, was, that was tech. And nice. I was tech for a long, 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 long time. Uh, then, what, what I love is that you, 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 sort, of had a, you sort of had a deep, uh, deep desire to know how something scientific and then, yeah. and then break left and <laughs> then break right and then you wind up in tech. Um, but, but just just full, full, to, to fully share, I, I was studying physics and then went into literature and mm -hmm. then wound up actually doing doc writing and, and QA and support myself. So I, I completely right. sympathize. So, so then so you start you get this AS400 eight feet of manuals with a bar yeah. through them, no doubt. Right. And then and then you uh, and how did that convey into security? Did you start to start to muck with it? I mean, that, I want the next chapter. No, so um, I did IT, I don't know, for st like street IT, pure IT mm. for a long time. And then I got to, um, I was working in a bank. Yeah. And at the bank, uh, as an IT, I was in charge of the, you know, the, the, the call center region. Um, so all of the data pieces, anything non-voice was my responsibility there. And one of the things that they had was this, the faceless info security team. And they had a bunch of policies and procedures because, of course, financial institutions have been regulated for a long time. And they reached out to people that were actually in the field to say, okay, here's our policies and procedures, you know, are these reasonable? So that was my first exposure to making sure that if you're going to write a policy, it's meaningful mm. to the people that have to implement it. Um, yep, yep. And, and my first exposure to, to security. Um, so I, I got interested in it then. I also had experience with working with a faceless security team that didn't build relationships and Ooh. nobody felt particularly warmly. Dr. No. Da, da, da. Dr. No. Dr. No via fax machine. That's, that's what they were. Oh, no. No, yeah. no, no, no. That's even Not worse. Even Ugh. worse. Um, and then the next job I had, uh, I was in charge of all of the IT, which included security. Um, and we started doing PCI and just generally data security. So it was just interesting. I think it's interesting. And I think there was a time at which I was no longer interested in hardware specs. Um, and I became more interested in, I guess it's not quite the intangible, but it is a little bit. Like risk is a little bit intangible. Mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. Very, no, very much so, right? People hand wavy it. 
Um, yeah, they they don't think of it as a quantifiable currency or a measurable thing. And, no, and but yet you have to quantify yeah, it. Yep. And, and th those quantifications are, let's face it, secretly hand wavy. And dry. Um, and dry. And you can you know, do you score it from a one to three or a one to ten or a red, yellow, green. Like all of these things can be done differently. But ultimately, what you're then doing is you're putting information in people's hands for them to help make decisions about. And I think that's an interesting thing to do and more interesting for me than being in IT. I think IT and me had run its course. However, having had so many years in IT, it positioned me much better, I think, to be a useful security person. Yeah, and, and by the way, one of the, one of the reasons this show is called Security All In was that intangible, you know, I, I um, there's many books out there. One of the ones I read was um, uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, um, and it was called Blink, about how we make mm -hmm. intuitive emotional decisions versus logical ones. And actually, our intuitive computer is far better but slower to adapt than the logical one. And uh, gambling maybe is a bad analogy, but I, I think of security all in like a poker game, right? That at some point, we sort of develop uh, the good gamblers, if there is such a thing, develop a, an intuition about, about when to go all in and when not to go all in. And, and what I try to explore in this show is, you know, when did you go all in on security and, and to what degree does this analogy make sense or not? I mean, risk is clearly treated as an art in many cases, but it's in fact a science. Um, and at some point, you know, it's not just a place a gamble and put it all on black or what have you, right? Or in the case of yeah. poker, in the, in the case of poker, where you actually move all your chips in and say, that's it, this is the hand, right? Um, it's in fact not doing that to some degree because yes. you aren't sort of just giving up and saying, well, we're very bad risk calculators intuitively, right? So um, do, do, you, do you have um, a model in your head for how you approach risk intuitively is there is there uh is there a passion you have where, where you go through sort of the notion of of gambling or the notion of personal risk is it is it even uh, even understanding do you have is there a model that you use that is an everyday thing that most people would understand or or is it built from the ground up from the numbers do you have a a risk framework that you that you apply um i do have a risk framework that um an iso risk framework I wouldn't use it initially with some people that are, with a with an organization that is just coming into this fresh mm. because although it does help give a kind of aha moment and it does boil down things into topics that non-technical and non-security people can understand like a laptop is lost there is a different risk associated with that if the laptop is encrypted or not encrypted, and there is a different risk associated with that if the person using it was handling, let's say, employee data versus handling yeah. um, stock <clears throat> yeah, data. Yeah, yeah, so, snidely whiplash isn't necessarily rubbing his hands with glee. Um, and 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 uh, your laptop may not be worth as much as that person's laptop, right? Yeah. Yes, and how we respond to it and how we protect it should be different because the risks are different. And doing that is helpful because then you can kind of pull out these things that are intuitive to someone that's been doing it for a long time and yet hard to explain. I remember I had this issue about a year ago, and I say I know we need to patch like we know we need to patch or whatever it was have av can i actually say in a sentence to someone that doesn't care why they need to do this and if i can't 
then is it really a risk, right? So having that kind of question in mind, so it's not second guessing. It's like, okay, I can explain it to myself, but I'm not the one I need to explain it to. Can I explain it to the person that needs to understand it? I think that's something that I do reasonably well, and that's why I like doing what I'm doing is is kind of bringing the hand wavy intangible to the let's spend our money here and not here for now, and here's why. But you know, the, this it's the this is the the problem is that most of these decisions aren't made in isolation, right? It's not a do I push this patch or not. It's it's do I push these patches and then next quarter and then next quarter and then next quarter yeah. when every one of them can combine to increase the tech debt and the likelihood that you have more tickets open longer and pain. And meanwhile, the company's going, but this lottery ticket wasn't ever punched. Why should I count on the next batch, right? It's not, it's not the GI Joe knowing is half the battle, right? It, that's yeah. not what it is. But that's one of the decisions that they have to make is they have to say, we understand because if we look at all the breaches that are out there and the ones that are associated with mm. vulnerabilities, right? we understand that leaving things vulnerable creates an additional risk. And we are either willing to accept that risk or we are willing to dedicate resources to make sure that risk is mitigated. And that's the kind of thing you have to help them understand where the balance is and, and what they should do. You know, And ultimately, it's yeah. their decision, but you, they can't do that without knowing all of the pieces to say yes if you patch, you may cause something to go down. And that's a very real risk. And as someone who's been in IT for a long time, I get it. Um, yeah, the thing, about, the thing about statistics and about risk is they're only really appreciable at scale. And frankly, you can only really hedge your bet at scale. Most of us, if we get hit with a significant incident, it is a life-changing event. Mm -hmm. um, but at scale, it sort of can fade into the background noise, and, and this is the premise behind insurance, right? That that we as an we as a as a civilization can uh, uh, we can help mitigate losses and smooth out the pain so that nobody really suffers deeply, um, and yet we haven't really turned that on in security. We haven't found a way to say, you know, if if you're the one who gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Uh, we try to keep the lightning frequency down, but if you're the one struck by lightning, that somehow you aren't still going to be toast, right? Uh, right. Uh, too too much of this is still uh, to mix metaphors, going around bayoneting the wounded. Um, it's very hard to explain to a board why, yes, you're the ones who got hit by this, and yes, it's unfair, um, and and so yes, you did accept the risk, and, right? Yes, and that's why though you go through the understanding of what the risks are for that organization. Mm -hmm. And then you also get the best practices in place because I think it is very, very hard to defend an organization that hasn't done some of the basics. Yeah. So, and that's, again, like I said, that's one of the areas I focus in on. If you are not doing these basic things, and some, some compliance stuff has a lot of, um, you know, extra credit in there that, that we can say as a risk, we are saying we will not do this right now and we're going to accept that. Um, I think you find that when you try, when you present to someone, senior leadership, whoever it is, you need to formally accept this risk. They really don't want to. It, no, no, because they hear, they hear blame, right? They hear, they hear blame and they hear yeah. that I have signed off on a document that says I am fine with this. Yeah, no, nothing could say more clearly with, yeah, I want you to let me off the hook when right. put yourself on it. I mean. Yes. And so, or, or if you don't want to sign this, here are the things that we can do that will acceptably mitigate this risk and bring it down to a, you know, whatever your scoring ratio is. A so, yellow from a red. Or a so red. so who, are the, who are the allies uh, at the sort of C-level 
Um, you know, I, I, I heard one CISO tell me uh, if the only dialogue's happening with, is, with the CISO is with the CIO, that they're doomed to fail. So yeah. who are the other departments that get that? And in your opinion, do most CISOs know how to have those adult chats? You know, I don't know. And I think I would say that, that, that when you... <laughs> Uh, most CISOs, that's the that's the bit that I'm hanging on to in that mm. Yeah, most most is probably no, right? It, yeah, it's, well, uh, if you look at the range of CISOs, right? So you've right. got CISOs that have been doing it for a long time. Um, one organization I used to work at had a habit of churning out people that ended up being CISOs at the next organization, and we'd all worked with them. I thought, well... It's like a CISO factory somewhere, just <laughs> churn, churning out little plastic yeah, Pez dispensers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but also... Bearing in mind how much they know, perhaps the job description for CISO at that organization is significantly different from what, you know, I think people are expected to be. And I think that's that's the, the, that's nobody's fault, right? So if you're going to work somewhere small, the CISO description is probably going to be cover a huge bunch of things, but isn't going to expect you to know the same amount of things that, you know, that Alex Delmas knows, right? Because he's the CISO of somewhere huge. So do, do um, if so go go on. I, I didn't. But so I was going to say, so your so your allies become the CFO because um, if you're going to be getting fined, they care a lot. Um, the CEO because they're going to be the first one in the news, um, and that's why it's been so interesting right now with the Facebook issues because Mark Zuckerberg hasn't said a thing, right? But right. and everyone's saying why hasn't he said anything? Not why hasn't anyone else said anything? Why hasn't he said anything? So if the CIO is aware of what their CNN moment could be, sorry, the CEO is aware of what their CNN moment could be, then um, they should be an ally. But they are not, if they're not part of a security organization, they are not going to understand things if you bring them stuff that is too vulnerability focused, right? They're just going to understand risk, red, yellow, greens, do this, is my recommendation type thing. And and do people call you to, I mean, so I usually focus on whether, how we personally got all in on security or, or um, you know, uh, to some degree, how the discipline is like that. Do, do you, do you get called in to help boards understand this notion of risk? Um, and is it, is it, is it bigger than security? Does it, does it tie to other forms of risk or is it very much down in, in, in the weeds of IT, IT risk? Do, do you help bridge those gaps with people with boards and some of the other, some of the other stakeholders? Um, I haven't had to thus far in my consulting role because it hasn't even been a year for me. Um, so um, I have been working with the board level people at my clients. So, you know, there's not necessarily always a formal um, board depending on the type of organization. But in the past I have, and I think whether, whether it's part of overall risk or not depends on the maturity level of the organization I if they understand they need to have enterprise risk, then they're going to have an enterprise risk person. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be a dotted line from the CISO to that enterprise risk person. Um, what's unfortunate, I think, is when enterprise risk is, is um, considered the same thing as security risk, because it's not. It's, right. It's, you know, that's a subset. Um, and... Um, I think that 
it can be very hard for boards to, you know, on, on one board, and I think you said it, right, on the one board, the, the board you go to talk to the most technical person in the room, because then the board is going to turn to them yeah. and, and just paraphrasing you, and, and say, okay, what does any of that mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I just realized I speak too much uh, when I hear when, when I hear people quoting me back. I'm like, man. No, but I think that's yeah. absolutely right because you know it's the same thing. You know, the technical person doesn't necessarily understand what's going on in the financial world as well, right? They're going to lean on each other, um, and you want to make sure that you fed good information to them and um, in terms that they understand. And I think that's where a lot of technical and security people go wrong is that there's no point trying to provide technical or security um, guidance that's very, you know, big word heavy to someone where that's not their thing. Yeah. Um, and so we can laugh about red, yellow, green, but red, yellow, green is... Is, is understandable. Yeah, yeah. Pe people, um, people grok it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in, in essence, you... you uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna infer something here, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm off. Okay. In your career, you you came up uh, a number of times. You've come up a technical path, and you've you've made a, a, a that that sharp left turn. Um, but one of them is that you have a natural intuition for people. I think that you you understand risk, and you're a translator, and you've you've made this jump, and you're sort of holding your hand back and saying. Uh, you know, trust me, leap and I'll catch you. Um, yeah. If I'm, if I, I mean, I'm inferring and, and and sort of putting a narrative on this, right? This is this is the the, the Laura story in a sense, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I think you're, I think you're right because also because of the clients I'm working with, you know, they don't have someone to provide that guidance. Yeah, and where do they get it? I mean, I mean, let's take from, consulting from aside. Cybersecurity, obviously. Let's imagine, let's imagine the millions of people listening to us right now, right? Yeah. And and say. <laughs> Uh, some of them don't have it in their DNA, but you know I've seen some folks who've been pretty good at it. In spite of even some people, some people on the autism spectrum in the CISO, CISO chair have 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 managed to consciously learn how to socialize and stuff. Yeah. But it's not in the DNA of how they got here, right? I mean, you, so you, now you got to get management skills and risk skills, and then I have to go socialize and what? I have to you know take these people out for coffee. I know the agony. Um, you're right, um, and, and it's by that same token. You know, I would never claim to be a good hacker. You know, I, not actually, not that I wouldn't find that fascinating because I love puzzles and and I love challenges, but that's not something I do. Um, and I think there's room for for all personalities in the security world. Right, there are the people that are absolutely amazing engineers, and they do not want to be put in front of people and don't make unless they want to go up the management track, yeah. you know, there is no reason to expose them. And actually, one of the companies I worked at a long time ago, they had a very formal uh, career progression that at one point forked off into management or technical because yeah. they recognize that there are people that just don't do both well. Um, mm, left, and, like left, and, like, left and right left brain. And right. Yeah. yeah. Mm, and and I, I think that's I think that's right. And I think if you can do both, that's fantastic, especially if you're trying to, um, you know, for my role, I have to work with IT people a lot. And I also have to work with board people a lot and C-level people a lot. And so I have to be able to do well in those things. Mm. But I don't have to go hugely deeply on IT. I'm very happy to wave my hands in the air and say, listen, I am not a developer. So I can give you a bunch of guidance and I can give you a bunch of yes, no things. But I can't tell you that you should put you know, a comma here in your code and it'll magically secure it up. Yep. And I'm fine with saying that. And I think you do also have to be fine with saying when you're out of your 
happy place. You know, I, I had a boss once who told me, um, you know, he said, Sam, uh, this was when I was being a CTO as opposed to a CSO. He said, you have to be operationally excellent. You have to be the voice and the face of technology. Um, he said, and you also have to be the agent of change and you have to do all these things amazingly and nobody can. <laughs> and he said, so, so, so he said, like, you have in, to also be the calm in the storm as well. Yeah, exactly. Bad, they're all going to look at you and you need to handle it. Yeah. And actually my next boss after that told me, Sam, he said, you know, you're very technical. He said, stop it. He's like, he said, uh, he said, you know, you, you do know the answers, but you know, you don't have to give it like, you, no. you, like you, you're disempowering someone somewhere. Keep it up your sleeve for when you truly need it. He said, but you need, you need to pick a role in the room. And, you know, I see a lot of CISOs who change jobs and then fail. And you're like, man, he or she is hyper competent. How did that happen? And I think it's because they're trying to be everything. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and it sounds like you've decided both what you enjoy and what you are passionate about, and you found a way to get su not just sustenance from it, but it sounds like you're thriving, Laura, right? That, no, and really you're helping thriving. other people do that. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. You have to be on the yes, you have to be on the side of the angels. But um, <laughs> that's what one friend of mine in security says. He says, you know, I just feel like I'm on the side of the angels. You know, we are trying to make things better in a very difficult environment, and these people that are looking for help are not having a great day in some cases, right? So right. either the auditor has come and and has beat them over the head or they've had something bad go wrong and they just want someone to make them feel like things are going to get better yeah you know the the there was there was a story and i can't remember which general it was um uh, it, it was a u.s general in world war ii in the southern theater and uh, bradley i think it was and he said he he didn't know what to do and he was very worried he would get it wrong so he just put his head down and started to do the work and then he was one of the most successful generals Overall, and I think, by the way, Laura, we've just found the name of this show. If if we need a name, it will be on the on the side of the angels. Um, <laughs> I mean, it just it resonates, right? I heard it, and I went, ah, okay, that that's that's the name, right? We, we'll, we'll go with that when we post this. Um, uh, but there's one thing I I do, and I know we're approaching the end of our time, and and I and I'd love to have you back sometime uh, uh, as, the, as the show as the show matures as well. Um, uh, one thing we're doing is uh, uh, we, the first few people that we speak to in at the sort of uh, at this level in security is we're trying to put together a a poker game at some point. We may do it at a show. Um, uh, one of one of the CISOs I've spoken to has offered to actually host it. He he's a CISO for one of the casino. Um, fun. The casino things. Would you would you join us? Not not we. I would, we, we, I would be the worst person because I because I'm so gullible. Well, I need someone um, to win money off. I I this is this is essential. Yeah. yeah, that would be me. No, um, I, I, it would be fun, and I would love it if you could. You don't have to. Feel free to say yes, and then feel free to never speak to me again. But I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you come. No, I think that would be really fun. I will. I will uh, read a book on poker beforehand. I've only played it once, and it was for um, you know the thing where they give you free whiskey and someone. Uh, and I won. The one nice. They're going to four. Is four eight is good? I don't know. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, no, that's not. No, if when you're playing with me, that doesn't win. But there's a special rule for why. There's but, a special uh, rule. I That's did right. win a hit flask. I was terribly pleased, and I wasn't allowed to play again. So I really—I mean, that was it. Very, um, very cool. Come. I would—I would actually consider it a challenge on how to be less gullible. Nice. And and uh, by the way, for uh, for free, I would give you consulting lessons uh, on on, <laughs> on how to, on how to play. I'm actually not a very good player. We're going to try and do. I think we'll try and do like one of those poker tournaments you see on TV and Can and have the conversation be about first? security. Yes. Yes, of course. Excellent. Yes. Well, Laura, thank you for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. This has been great. And uh, I look forward to working with you, talking to you, speaking to you in the future. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
Bye-bye. Awesome. That's it. There we go. And we can edit that. So there were like, a, you, you had a ping at one point. Oh. Elliot, it happens. And no, Laura, thank you. Fun. Really appreciate it. No problem. That was fun. I love yeah. chat. Yeah. Well, that's that's what this is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what it's supposed to be. Um, anyway, we're, 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 